1: Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and
0: possibly some of the worst
1: tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy and I'm Addy and you're listening to Series 8, Episode 16, Behind the Mask.
0: We don't have any announcements for you guys today. We had so many last week that we thought we'd give you a little bit of a break. So we're going to jump right on in to Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM is about Series 8, Episode 15, Destination Aerolax.
1: Aerolax, a fun callback to a planet in series three uncharted worlds, uh, which had a similarly mysterious planet wide black ocean, uh, which causes all sorts of problems in series three.
0: Uh, luckily so far we've avoided it. Uh, something we haven't avoided though is some pretty hefty questions as to where the team's future is going. We know that we've got the prophecy from master Fug. um, But it's also called into question if the team should split up, stick together, where they should go from there. And that I know from personal GMing experience can be nerve wracking when you set your players up for for a big choice like that. Um, So I thought I would ask you, what was kind of going through your head? Were you coming up with strategies when we were like, oh, should we split the party forever and always?
1: Yeah, it's always risky as a GM to let the narrative go to a point where a logical solution to some of the players' problems is for them to kind of split up. This particular example is actually compounded by the fact that the concept of the Inquisitors tracking the Jedi around the galaxy was introduced in canon from the animated series Star Wars Rebels. And the solution that they came up with was like, okay, well, let's have the two Jedi characters go off and like prepare to face the Inquisitors head on without having to worry about the rest of the crew being in danger. And that led to like many episodes that were very cool and very Jedi centric. Uh, But that kind of galaxy wide splitting of a party is not necessarily conducive to a gaming environment.
0: I know that we've talked about before from the player's perspective that uh, it's important to continue to re-buy into the hooks and the stories to make the choice to uh, generally keep the group together. But that's also something that the GM can help with if uh, the narrative has been driven to that point where there is, in fact, a wedge. I know that one technique that I've used uh, actually on the podcast in series one um, is to bring in an element uh, that either forces or enables a conversation between the uh, group as a whole or two key players in a motivating incident, quote unquote. Uh, The example that I referenced is in the first series when Oberon is thinking of leaving the party because he's just found out he's spoiler alert, part warlock, Mm -hmm. and uh, thinks he might be a danger to himself and others. Uh, He has a bit of a rough night and ends up... um, puking all over a small child and getting uh, getting another character very angry with him and, and they have it out and uh, and it brings them together and I think that these kind of internal uh, struggles that a narrative might bring to a character can be solved by just talking about it almost like it's real life
1: yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah. uh, it, another thing about this particular moment where everyone was kind of like contemplating you know do we stick together after this is it better for us to split uh, was that it was happening kind of near the end of an episode so i would have had time to think and plan between the two between the two sessions to try and find like what elements of these characters bonds to each other i could target and maybe like have an external force like remind them that they they're stronger together than separated i mean make it so like you guys like really feel like you know what we need to stick together it's the only way for us to survive
0: one thing I would like to say is as a GM, there's also the conversation you can have outside of the role playing, if necessary, where you can talk with your players and be like, is this something that you guys are interested in? Are you guys interested in having your own campaign or splitting the party for an extended period of time? And or in an instance... Uh, retiring or writing a character out of a series it's totally okay especially if your player or a couple of players are sort of feel like they've they've reached the point at which their their characters can ride off into the proverbial sunset uh they can either uh, then leave your table, and you can fill in um, a new player, or uh, they can create a new char- character with you and the rest of the team to kind of bring something new and fresh to your to your narrative. And not every splitting of the party, uh, permanent or temporary, is the end of the world, but sometimes uh, it can be the end of a character's story. Yeah, and
1: to introduce it, especially in a in a setting similar to like the podcast, where like we have a set amount of episodes we're trying to hit you know we want to keep the narrative going at a certain pace we've commissioned character art for some of these characters and we don't necessarily want to write them out of the campaign in in those settings where where you feel like your story may be a little more restrictive flat out talking to your players like pausing the game if you have to or talking about talking to them between sessions almost have a secondary what do you want from this campaign type conversation where, you know, you kind of reevaluate and say, do we need to take the story in a different direction? How do we keep everyone who's playing here together while still like, making the narrative make sense. And if some people have some ideas, they can give you as the GM some inspiration. And and I always try to be a little coy and be like, those are some interesting ideas. And they made me think of something, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> you have to trust that your your players like playing together enough that you're not writing your campaign into just like, Combustion, where everyone splits and then the like, you know, the party breaks up in game in a way that doesn't allow for the narrative to continue. And you know, when I when I brought this up, I luckily correctly assumed that it would lead to some to the characters asking very compelling questions and put a dose of drama into the campaign without uh, completely disassembling it and driving it off the rails and making it so I couldn't wrap it up in five episodes. So. Ultimately, you know, that, that partially goes down to us, like talking about it outside of sessions and just the trust there and everyone sort of finding reasons for their characters to buy back into the story, to confront these questions and find a reason that makes sense for their character to not just walk away from the story that we're telling, um, all of those elements combined together to make what was hopefully a very compelling and dramatic episode, which was full of a lot of great moments, which leads me to wanting to ask you, Addy, what was your favorite moment from this past episode?
0: I really loved running into Sukra, seeing that he was just like, doing all right to have that win in the midst of like all of this like very high level drama was so nice to to get that like boost of like hey we did a good thing uh, those feel goods were were definitely my favorite moment
1: that moment actually like resonated with me in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting uh I brought sukra back for exactly those reasons to kind of show you guys that you had done good in the world and it was so touching to me that none of your characters even briefly considered taking him up on his offer to help you. You guys were like, no, you got out, man you live a normal, happy life. Don't get mixed up in our shit again. And like that hit me right, right in the heart. I was like, Oh, you guys really cared about him so much that you were, you aren't even taking the like possible mechanical benefit of having another like turn in
0: initiative, you know, stay rescued, man. (laughs) Um, but what about you? What was your favorite moment?
1: My favorite moment was, uh, when, you guys talked with uh, rashala and she kind of pulled you off to the side to tell you whispers of the potential of a brewing rebellion. You know, obviously, it's really hard to tell a Star Wars story uh, without tipping your hat at some of the like main canon. And I had prepped this episode just a little bit after reading some of the Ahsoka book, which tells the story of the Jedi Padawan Ahsoka Tano, post Clone Wars animated series, pre Uh, Rebels animated series and there's some really cool moments where she encounters Bail Organa or Senator Bail Organa and he tells about how he like keeps track of all the little pockets of resistance that pop up around the galaxy and then like when something really notable happens he like reaches out to them and like his hope is to eventually as we know watching the movies successfully organize a massive uh, rebellion and uh, and it also gave me the the really good opportunity to tell Jaxomar and Elkiri that this mysterious senator had hinted that he might know that some other Jedi are alive and that perhaps they are not the only two Jedi in the galaxy. And like, I really wanted Jaxomar and Elkiri to feel that fire of hope that like the Jedi order might not be completely destroyed.
0: Yeah. Um, I love that because, uh, I love Ahsoka Tano like too, too much love for Ahsoka Tano. And so when you were like, yes, a certain Senator maybe knows more Jedi. And I was like,
1: Ahsoka! Six <laughs> degrees of separation with Ahsoka <laughs> Tano achieved.
0: Yeah, right. Um, and so that was, uh, that was really awesome. The, the, t- the very, very small touchstones we've had uh, with the like main plot have been uh, really great. And I think they've been done in a nice, distant, subtle way that, uh that, uh, I've really enjoyed. So you were not the only one who enjoyed uh, having a, an ancillary tie to to um, the the real rebellion.
1: But your journey is far from over. We have five episodes left. You're on Aralax pursuing what you think to be a prophecy to protect the galaxy from a mysterious darkness. And you're about to go talk to a retired bounty hunter about it. So (laughs) without further ado, let's go ahead and move on in and listen to Series 8, Episode
2: 16, Behind the
0: Mask. Enjoy!
2: I am Jaxamar Sorel, Human Jedi Sentinel. My Padawan training was patrolling the slums of Coruscant, rooting out the vicious gangs and bringing them to justice. With the guidance of Master Lewitt Rensmer, I learned to rely on my cunning to solve problems. Passing my trials, defusing a hostage crisis the day the Clone Wars began. At the height of the war, I was called to the front lines alongside my oldest friend Dudo and his Padawan Elkiri. The idea of the Jedi as generals never sat well with me, and my greater fears were realized when the clones turned on us, and Dudo sacrificed himself so we could survive. His final wish was for me to take up the task of training El'Kiri. With the destruction of the Order, it falls to me to ensure the Jedi live on through her. Though my training left me a capable warrior, I've had to quickly adjust in a galaxy where a lightsaber is a beacon for the Empire's most dangerous assassins. Thankfully we found allies in the former republic pilot Tan Mobuk and her droid Oko. She saved us after the empire rose to power, and her ship, the Excípitor, has been home for the last 3 years. The galaxy may be shrouded in darkness, but I believe the Force will guide us to a better future.
3: The name's Mobuk, Lieutenant Tan Mobuk of the Galactic Republic Navy. Well, that's who I used to be anyway, before all this happened, I was a slave. Nearly died trying to fight my way out. And when the opportunity to join the Navy presented itself, you bet your ass I jumped like hell. Spent most of the Clone Wars chasing pirates. Found my bird, the Excipitor there, in fact. The up-and-ups let me keep her despite her, uh, modifications. And Oko, too. Others might just see a droid, but I know there's more under their shiny metal shell. Now? Now we're just trying to survive. With Sorel and El Kiri on board, The exhibitor will always have a target on her back. It'd have been a hell of a lot safer for us to run and hide. But safe never really was my MO. We've done some good helping out with the Hydean Underground. One day, though, I'm going to give the Empire a kick straight in the teeth for what they've done. To me, to Sorel, to Al'Kiri and Oko, and all the others they've crushed under their heel. They've won their war, but I've just started mine.
4: Personal identification number 0k0, at your service. Master Tan refers to me as Oko. You may as well, there isn't much time. Please lean back, this will take your mind off the pain. I am told my past has been eventful for a droid. I was captured by roving pirates shortly after the start of the Clone Wars. They modified and reprogrammed me to accompany them on raids. My surgical laser was greatly enhanced for combat utility And I was trained in the manufacture of stimulants and toxins. Please drink this. I witnessed many gruesome sights, but also interacted with all manner of organic life, occasionally even in a non-lethal capacity. Your species is particularly fascinating. So much blood. Upon my recovery, Master Tan allowed me to retain my memory. My years with the brigands, while regrettable, had instilled in me an appreciation for freedom and autonomy, ideals shared by Master Tan. My unusual modifications, coupled with her impressive piloting abilities, served us well as a Republic Emergency Extraction Team, until the clones turned on us and our three Jedi companions. As runners in the Hydean Underground, we do what we can to hide good people from the Empire, but nowhere is safe now. Good news. There is a 38% chance that your injuries are non-fatal. Best of luck.
0: M.L. Kiri Kanti, Padawan Learner. The Force has always been with me, even in the most trying of times, and I am continually surprised by the way the Force guides us all. That it saw fit to match me with Master Jaxamar Sorrell, Sentinel, and perhaps the last Jedi Knight. Just like my late master, Duto Noem, Jaxamar and I are an unlikely pair. I've always been more inclined to talk than to fight, and he has always been the other way around. After we escaped, we turned to Rushala, an old friend of mine from early in the Clone Wars. She helped us hide from the Empire when we were in need, and now, along with her, we formed the Hydean Underground to help save those who are under the thumb of, or worse, enslaved by the Empire. There's no war that can be waged against the Empire. The best we can do is to save those we can and avoid any engagement with the Empire's forces. I must admit, I can sense the apprehension grow in me as we approach every new rescue for the Hydean Underground. But with Master Sorel, Tan, and Oko working beside me, and the Force with us, the Empire will never know we're coming. The last time we
1: left the crew of the Excipiter, they had landed on the Aralax trading post, a station built around a minuscule moon circling an uninhabited planet covered in a strange black sea of carnivorous ooze. Landing on the station, they reconnected with Rishala, who gave them news of hope of a rebellion backed by at least one senator of the Imperial Senate. Sticking to their task, though, they... Went down to the lower levels to seek out the retired bounty hunter known as August Lodge, who had retired right before he had captured the ex-imperial science officer who had deserted and is the subject of one of Master Grundello Fug's final visions. The four of you are walking down the street towards the Longhorn Cantina. You enter the cantina. It is uh, Like the rest of the Aralax trading post, it is relatively clean compared to other establishments of its same level on other planets. There's an L-shaped bar that runs along the right wall with several booths taking up the left side of the room. Uh, behind the bar is a tall, well-built man with dark brown hair and a dirty beard. Uh, his hair is pulled back into a ponytail. He matches the description of Agos Lodge, with one hand, he pours whiskey into a patron's glass and his other hand respectfully holds his large cigar behind him away from the, away from the patron. He and the patron exchange pleasantries as the four of you uh, move further in and setting down the bottle and taking a puff of his cigar, August returns to, to a hollow console uh, at the backside of the bar to punch in an order. What do you guys do?
3: I want to look around the cantina and see who else is there. Uh, there's the human patron
1: at the bar who Agos had just finished pouring uh, a drink for. And then there's a pair of duros in one of the booths in the back corner. They seem to be like going over like a star map together.
3: I will lean in to Sorrel. Uh Perhaps there's somewhere quieter we can talk.
2: Uh, I will nod to Tan and get up and make my way to the refresher and just like scope out this entire bar as I do.
1: Sure. Uh, there is a unisex refresher uh, at the back center of the bar. Um, and just nearby, like the curve of the L uh, of the bar, um, there is a, a door, um, that presumably leads into some kind of kitchen. As you're moving into the refresher, you see that door slide open and a server droid kind of like zoom out towards the two Duros and like set down like a plate of food for them and then turn around and fly back into the kitchen.
2: There's no sign of any kind of office or anything like that. The kitchen seems like the most secluded place.
1: There might be an office beyond the kitchen, but yeah,
2: from your vantage
1: point, uh, there there's the kitchen and what lies beyond that, the refresher and the main
2: bar area. I will... Go use the refresher and return so as not to appear suspicious. Uh, where's everyone else at?
3: I guess we go to the bar.
1: Okay. After sitting down there for a little bit, Agos um, finishes punching in an order uh, and then turns to see uh, Elkiri and Oko and Tan at the bar. And uh, he walks up, pulling the cigar and like kind of holding it away as he uh, puffs out the smoke and uh, gets uh, closer to you guys, uh, leans against the bar and goes, howdy, welcome to the Longhorn Cantina. What can I get y'all? I do have uh, a maintenance droid that could take a look at your droid there if it needs any uh, repairs or uh, updates.
4: That won't be necessary, thank
1: you. No problem at all. For you fine ladies?
3: I'll have uh club soda with lime
1: <laughs> he raises an eyebrow and he goes please tell me you you want something a little more interesting darling he uh looking at Alkiri
0: I'll have a whiskey please
1: right away and he uh He puts the cigar back in his mouth uh, Sets a little small food menu in front of you guys And goes and uh, uh, pours a glass of whiskey And spritzes uh, some seltzer water into a cup And uh, walks back setting the drinks down And goes, you just let me know if you need anything else Uh, At this point, Jack Samar is uh, about to return to you guys
0: Can I um, sense uh, around, see what's around behind that wall?
1: Yeah, sure, go ahead and roll a sense power
0: Uh, I do it.
1: Okay, Uh, so you reach out through the force. Uh, You sense every living creature in this bar, which consists of your companions, Agos, and his three patrons. Uh, There doesn't seem to be anybody organic in the kitchen.
0: It seems like who we see is exactly who's in this bar. Should we just ask?
2: Asking to speak to him in private seems best, but also were I a retired bounty hunter, that would put me on edge.
0: What if we just asked for this lesser digs?
2: I don't have a better plan.
0: L- would you like me to order you a drink?
2: <laughs>
1: sure.
0: I'll raise my hand to get his attention.
1: Looking, b- looking down the bar, he sees you've been joined by another person. Uh, he nods at you as you raise your hand. He says uh, he finishes responding to a comment from that uh, man down at the end of the bar. And then he uh, he walks back down to where you are. Howdy, what can I get you?
2: Whatever he likes, fine with me.
1: All right, then. He goes and grabs something from the top shelf and pours it into a glass. It like, kind of steams a little bit as it, as he, as it touches the glass. And uh, he sets it down. He goes, y'all going to be running a tab? No, we'll pay
0: for the drinks as they come.
1: So you say that, and he, uh, he slides a little uh, pad over to you, a little hollow pad over to you. Uh, your total is currently at 80 credits.
3: I will take a long drink of my club soda and try not to look at Jack's Mars drink.
0: I will put a hundred credits on the, uh, the hollow pad.
1: He smiles, uh, at that and goes, thank you kindly.
0: Of course. You know, I'd be inclined to order another few rounds if I could, uh, if we could have a moment of your time.
1: He leans back on like the back part of the bar and, uh, takes a, a small, puff from his cigar and blows the smoke away from you guys and like holding his cigar a little away from you he uh he nods and goes time is something i have plenty of young lady
3: while they talk i'd like to subtly keep an eye on the human at the bar and see if he reacts at all
1: so go ahead and roll an opposed uh perception check uh it will be average with a challenge die
3: i will flip a destiny point to upgrade the uh my ability die all right it's a wash.
1: Okay. You look down the bar. Um, uh you know, it's it's somewhat dimly lit. Uh the gentleman at the bottom uh, uh seems to be sipping his drink and uh picking at his food a little bit. Uh I mean, he may glance your way once or twice, but he doesn't seem to be doing anything suspicious. You do mark that he is armed, but so is August behind the bar. He's got a he's got a blaster on his hip.
0: My friends and I, we're looking for someone and we were told that you might be the person who has some information. You being sort of famous in the bounty hunting world and all that.
1: He was looking at you like politely and like casually leaning against the bar. And you see him stiffen up just a little bit when you say that. And he like kind of bites at his lip and like looks down, kind of grinning, almost in disappointment. And then he looks up again and he goes, I'm out of that business, honey. I'm sorry you made the trip to Airlax. But, uh, I ain't taking a bounty in some time.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. We're not searching to fill a bounty. It's just you might be the person to know anything about the person we're looking for. Just a source of information.
1: You know how it is. If you're in the business, if I get involved in your hunt at all, uh, it's just as much my hunt as yours. And I don't like getting my hands dirty anymore.
0: I'm not a bounty hunter.
1: He raises an eyebrow.
0: Do I look like a bounty hunter?
1: They come in all shapes and sizes, honey.
0: Oh, flattering.
1: <laughs> what changed? He, he looks to you. He kind of sizes you up. He stands up away from the bar that he was like kind of lounging against. One hand uh, on, the, on the bar still, and the other hand uh, like holding his cigar like over his shoulder.
2: And he goes, excuse me? You said you don't like getting your hands dirty anymore. What changed?
1: Hard to live a life when you got people shooting at you all the time. I decided it was about time to take all my earnings and, uh, and make an honest businessman out of myself. Now, if you'll excuse me, I do have guests to attend to. And uh, he goes to uh, walk back towards the other end of the bar.
0: I'm looking for Lesher Diggs.
1: Uh, he stops with his back turned to you. And his left hand raises up and rests on the blaster on his hip. And uh, he takes a, a puff of his cigar... And then stamps it into an ashtray behind the bar.
3: For the record, my hand is also on
0: my blood. <laughs> of at course, this point. yeah. I have a very, I have affected a very easy demeanor.
1: Uh, and I'm going to need you to roll a hard opposed charm test with one challenge and one setback.
0: Um, I will use my influence power as part of this check.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Four successes and an advantage.
1: He sits there for a second before responding. uh, And then he looks over his shoulder and slowly turns. His body like still kind of at the ready. His hand still on the blaster on his left hip. And uh, he looks you up and down again and goes, I never heard of him.
0: I smile. Then why are you so nervous? Little jumpy on that trigger finger for asking about a name that you've never heard of.
1: You don't get this far along not being quick to shoot. Uh, He looks over his shoulder and, uh, like, makes eye contact with the guy at the end of the bar and kind of, like, motions towards him. And the guy, like, kind of stands up, and you see, like, he moves his jacket to, like, cover, like, a scattergun that he has slung there. And uh, he nods and walks over to the two Duros who are, like, arguing over the star map, and uh, he leans down over the table Says a couple things to him. They look up at him. He like flashes his scattergun at them and they like stand up and uh, he like ushers them out of the bar. And as soon as he walks out with the two of them, not having broken eye contact with you, August Lodge goes, nah, I ain't saying I'm not going to be helpful. Dependent. My question is, how'd you come to hear about one such as Lesher Diggs? What is his name doing bringing you to my bar? Causing trouble.
2: A friend of ours has reason to believe Mr. Diggs is looking to cause some trouble. We'd like to keep that from happening. He, uh, he looks at the four of you, sizes you
1: up, and slowly removes his hand from his blaster. And he returns to a more casual-looking pose as he walks up towards you uh, and leans on the bar looking at you. Y'all ain't imperial, and y'all sure as hell aren't bounty hunters. Who are you? No one of consequence. I don't think that answer is going to fly, young lady. You shoot straight with me, maybe I can help you out.
0: The galaxy's getting smaller, if you haven't noticed, and uh, we're just a couple of people trying to make sure that as it gets smaller, it's still safe for those that can't protect themselves.
1: Uh, you can roll charm or negotiation. Uh, it will be another hard opposed check with one challenged die. Uh, no setback this time. And you can have a boost because uh, not only do you guys outnumber him, but you are assisted by what Jacksamar has already said.
0: Um, I have uh, one success and five advantages.
1: He kind of smiles at that when you say that. You know what? I believe you. But listen, and he looks towards Jaxomar. Mr. Diggs ain't uh, looking to cause any problems. If I'm going to point you guys in the right direction... I need to know no harm's going to come to him. That's the arrangement he and I had, you see.
3: It might not be his choice.
1: Look, the man's seen something while working for the Empire. Something that weighed on him. Trauma written as plain as day on his face. He don't want no trouble.
2: We're not here to cause harm to anyone. That's not our goal. If he's not looking to cause trouble, but merely been witness to it, our goal is only to talk to him, find out what he knows. I reckon you don't want to cause trouble. Otherwise, I think I'd have a hole in my back from your, from your
1: medical droid surgical laser there. He nods towards the uh, hidden but heavily augmented uh, surgical laser on Oko's arm.
4: That would not be ideal.
1: I agree. So I'll tell you where he is. I tracked him down a little while ago, and uh, after exchanging a few words with the man, the way I saw it, he'd give me every credit to his name if I put him somewhere safe. Now, I've been on Airlax more than a few times, and one thing that always confounded me was how no one who lived here wanted to talk about the church. They run the station, but no one seems to want to acknowledge them. Weird people out. Seem nice, but there's, uh, there's something unnerving about that goo they worship. The way they feed corpses to it and go on and on about wanting to usher in some kind of age of darkness. You ask me, I think that's already started. Point is, I couldn't think of a place less likely for someone to find an ex-imperial scientist. So I set him up here, and he helped me get this cantina started. I think he wanted to keep me close in case someone came looking for him. And he gestures to the four of you. La, good, that's done him. Now, I'm not complaining, of course. I think I took pretty well to being a legitimate businessman. And he looks, like, up as if thinking about a couple things. More or less. Now, I don't know exactly where Diggs is. But I did help him join the Aralaxian church. He just never left me a way to reach out to him. Probably for this exact reason. I do know his title, though. The church has some sort of ranking system in which its prominent acolytes are given new names. Another reason why I thought it'd be a good way for him to disappear. Membership includes a certain amount of anonymity, you see. If you go around asking for lesser digs, at best you'll get confused looks. At worst, you'll raise some kind of alarm. Last I heard, he was known amongst the acolytes as Brother Theodore. Now you go to the Grand Church of Aralax, you ask around for him there, I reckon they'd let you meet him.
2: You've been very helpful, Mr. Lodge.
0: And thanks for the second round, and I'll tap another hundred credits over to him.
1: Much obliged. Now if I hear Church of Aralax is uh, looking for a new brother, Theodore, I might just have to get back in the bounty hunting business one last time. Catch my meaning? He looks like daggers at all of you. Understood. All right. Now, if you kindly remove yourself from my bar, I'd like to invite my guests back in.
2: I will finish my drink
1: and leave. Uh, the four of you leave the bar and you step out and that man with the scatter gun is kind of leaning against the pole there, smoking a death stick. And uh, he looks at you guys, didn't hear any shots or anything. So he doesn't, he like kind of just like looks back at his death stick, finishes it up and he looks like he's about to flick it to the ground. And then, like, he seems to think better of it, and he walks, like, the two paces over to, like, the nearest waste bin and drops it in the waste bin and then walks into the bar past you guys.
2: We head towards the Grand Church of Aralax.
1: Right. It is very nearby uh, this area. Um, part of what uh, Grundello Fug was able to tell you was that the well in the center of the moon that has the Black ichor, uh has an ch- underground channel that leads into the hall of the Church of Aralax. Uh, as you uh, stand outside, you see it has an almost archaic structure. Um, and stepping in through the large uh, hinged doors, uh, you see there are tall vaulted ceilings and stained glass windows that create a dark but colorful chamber. There are no pews or anything like that, just an open area that leads to a an elevated stage with a large basin. You can see the black Aralaxian ichor kind of like reaching out and dropping back down uh, in this basin. The basin is long, uh, long and wide enough uh, to accommodate most uh, sentient species in size. And stepping out of a, of a side chamber, a tall, thin figure in purple robes and a gas mask with green lenses approaches you. Welcome, neighbor, to the Church of Aralax. May the many-armed god below bless you. And uh, he, like, kind of bows to you when he says that. And then he goes, please, allow me to be of service.
0: May the many-armed god send its blessing upon you as well. We are in search of one of your number, a uh, Brother Theodore.
1: Ah, Brother Theodore, the most notable of our acolytes. He spends most of his time in his isolation chamber communing with the essence of Aralax. Tell me, is he expecting you?
0: I know not of what the many-armed god tells him.
1: Uh, You can go (laughs) ahead and roll (laughs) an easy charm test. Okay. Uh, You can have a boost.
0: One success and seven advantages. Uh,
1: Yeah, so you will succeed in having him take you to Brother Theodore's chamber. Uh, Is there anything you want... In particular to do with your large supply of advantage
0: i'll throw two of them forward just in case for the next check okay uh and then for the five advantages maybe now this accolade um supports our cause for what they know of it
1: sure if anything ever comes up this guy will vouch for you (laughs) (laughs) he nods at your words and goes Well, let us hope he shares such wisdom with you. Uh, Perhaps we have three new acolytes in the making here. With me, I will take you to his chamber. He leads you down a winding flight of stairs into the underbelly of the church uh, and up to a secure metal door. He presses a a button nearby the door, and uh, it buzzes, and he speaks into it. Brother Theodore! You have visitors seeking the wisdom of Aralax. And uh, there's a long pause before the door finally opens. And uh, the figure bows to you one more time and says, May the many-armed god bless you. And uh, then he goes walking back up towards the stairs. The chamber inside is small and barren, uh, though the central area is padded with materials familiar to the Jedi in your party uh, for kneeling and meditating.
0: I'll uh, sense what's happening here.
1: <laughs> uh, go ahead. One, so I do. You, you sense another living creature within a short range. She's on the other side of a wall that has no apparent door. Uh, as you guys step in, the door shuts behind you. And a screen taking up the opposite wall lights up and uh, a face appears. Uh, it is obscured by a purple robe with black designs on it. And a gas mask similar to all the rest of the Church of Aralax. You have come to the Chosen of Aralax, Brother Theodore.
2: Ask, and you shall receive guidance. (laughs) We're just here to talk, Mr. Diggs. (laughs) (laughs) There's
1: a slight pause. You see the, like, robed and helmeted head kind of, like, shift almost uncomfortably. Please. Kneel before the Chosen of Aralax. I shall guide you along your way.
3: No, we're not going to do that. Can you just come here?
1: There's a a long pause. And he goes, If you are not here to seek my wisdom, be gone! Or I shall call my brethren to oust you from my chambers. Do not waste the time of Brother Theodore.
0: So we can't see, like, a curtain or anything?
1: (laughs) Uh, no, uh, the you so you can roll an average perception check as you're examining the wall that you sense a person through.
0: Sure.: Four successes and two advantages. Wish I will push forward.:
1: <laughs> All right. You have sensed the the wall you should be checking out. You feel the presence of a of someone through this wall, uh, and looking at it just a little bit, you see the outline of a hidden door.
0: Um, I'm going to just use the move power on the hidden door.
1: Sure. Go ahead and roll that force check. It's not opposed or anything.
0: I, I rolled four pips. I do it.
1: Okay. You uh, reach out with your hand and kind of raise it and the, uh, the door there uh, on the side just slides up. And uh, you see what looks like a laboratory setup with two sets of countertops in the middle. Uh, and several glass cabinets and shelves that line the walls, and they are filled with various samples and, and vials. And you see uh, wearing the robe just over his head, not even over his arm and bodies, and the gas mask, like, over his face, the uh, a figure hunched over a hollow uh, a hollow calm, speaking into it. Be gone! Leave this chamber with your
3: lives while you can. I'm going to walk into the chamber and take the mask and and hood off of him
1: those of you looking at the screen watch as tan steps
3: into the image and. Pull, oh, 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 ah! <laughs> great that's better now we can talk
1: he immediately tries to run he tries to run past all of you <laughs>
3: uh yeah i will i will put my arm out he struggles against you but
1: uh he is not very strong and you kind of push him back and he stumbles back bumping into a table you see like a a glass uh, cube with some of that black ichor inside it and when he bumps up against it it like reaches out and tries to like get on him but is stopped by the glass uh and he he pulls away from it and looks at you and he puts up his hands and like grabs like a scalpel and like holds it out towards uh, holds it out in front of him he goes who are you who sent you what are you doing
0: i think what the question everyone is wondering is what are you doing
1: <laughs> he looks at uh at you again and then he rushes again trying to like get past you guys towards a, a large button
2: on the wall i stop him
1: <laughs> he struggles against you for a second. He tries to, uh, like, slash at you with the uh, scalpel, but it's really, like, he, he's not even, like, holding it right. It's more like he's trying to just, like, hit you with his fist more than anything else, and you kind of, like, push him back off of you. And he stops, and he looks at you, and then, like, fear starts, like, welling up in his eyes.
0: Mr. Diggs, calm down. We're not with the Empire. We're not here to kill you.
1: You can roll a hard charm test with two setbacks to calm him down.
0: I'll flip a dark side point or a destiny point, and I have uh, two successes and six advantages.
1: Okay. Uh, so a little more annoyed than a Jedi probably should be with, uh, with such a pitiable man, you, uh, reach out a little more forcefully with the force, uh, to influence him as you, uh, as you try to calm him down. And instead of like smoothing his emotions over, you kind of force them into a calm state, <laughs> uh, tapping into the dark side just a little bit, um, gaining a strain and a conflict. And he kind of sets back and still kind of struggling against the like the fear and looks at the three of you. This man is uh, below average height for a human, uh, very scrawny. He doesn't look like he gets many visitors. His hair is scraggly. He has a wispy, long beard. Uh, his fingernails are dirty and long. And uh, he looks at the four of you, kind of like takes a few breaths and goes, well, if you're not with the Empire, then then who are you? Did Lodge send you? I I already gave him everything I I had. He, He and I had an agreement.
3: We're not here to hurt you, you idiot. Don't you think we would have done that by now if that was our plan? I don't know. I don't know who you are. Someone
1: tell me. Tell me. What do you want from me? What do you know about the green eyes in space? What? He looks genuinely confused at that.
2: Lodge told us when he found you, you had witnessed some terrible horror. What did you do while you were an imperial science officer?
1: I I can't rightly say. Uh, he looks at like your quizzical looks at him and he goes, "No, I, I mean they, they had me working on something. Something terrible. I just" <sighs> And he's like kind of like looks around and says, "Can I can I take a seat?" "Of course." He goes and sits down and like uh, he's kind of nearby that glass cube and the the black ichor kind of like slurps over onto the side of the cube, kind of like undulating at him. And he like pushes it away (laughs) and like shakes his head and goes, at first I was excited. A chance to work in a top tier classified science division. I mean, even within a year of its inception, the Empire was turning out cutting edge advancements. I was among an unparalleled elite. And, you know, at first it was great myself and six other brilliant, brilliant scientists brought to, a, uh, brought to a secret facility in the deep core. I knew we were working on something for the Imperial military, just some kind of weapon. And I wasn't sure exactly what it was uh, early into the process. Each member of the team became more and more isolated and given only a fraction of what we were working on. And, The context was removed from all of the equations. I I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was just solving problems, uh, examining samples, and I could glean some of what was going on, but they made a point to make it so I didn't know. And it wasn't long before I was assigned to a completely solitary lab with little to no contact from anyone except for the occasional guard bringing me samples. The more curious I got, the more I was punished. And I became convinced that The other scientists were faring no better, and what's worse, as time went on, I received less and less outside work. I was no longer building on the work of another scientist. I was working each problem from scratch. I began to fear that the other members of the team had either been released from the project or worse. I was in over my head. I didn't know what I was doing. Samples of what? I don't know. Most of them were biological in nature. Uh, that's my specialty. And, and I kept having to analyze and experiment with various different organic samples. I knew, or at least supposed that while the other scientists may have been removed or killed once they were no longer useful, I was needed for the project to succeed. Now I lied to myself for as long as I could telling myself that, I was doing great things, despite the overwhelming secrecy and the abusive treatment of my of the guards. I just I had to believe that the work I was doing was worth it.
3: The work you were doing, building weapons for the Empire, the
1: Empire, the Republic, whatever you want to call it. It was at the time I had no idea what the Empire had turned into. This was very shortly after its inception. I was a Republic science officer before.
3: Don't compare the Empire to the Republic. They are nothing alike.
1: I know that now, I've, now that I've gotten out and I've seen, why do you think I am hiding here in this, this church of fanatics? I, I don't want to go back because of what I saw. He takes a second, like, collecting himself, and he goes, every month or so, I'd be forced to report to a superior, some officer checking on my quotas, and also I came to understand... My sanity. They were as much psychiatric, uh, psychiatric exams as they were status updates. During one of these meetings, the officer interviewing me was called away, and I glanced at his notes. The weapon? Whatever we had been developing. It was being manufactured on a nearby planet in the Deep Core at some automated facility that was designed to act as a launching station. And the target? It was Coruscant we were creating a weapon tailor-made to wipe out Coruscant. The note I caught a glance of, it it was a memo stating that the weapon was estimated to have a casualty rate of 60 to 70% planet-wide, and the Emperor would settle for nothing less than 95%. And that's when I began to plot my escape. I manipulated the psychiatric exams. I, I suggested that I was on the verge of a psychotic break, It wasn't too hard because it wasn't too far from the truth. I convinced them that the isolation was going to break me, and I was relying on them needing me to continue my research. It's a gamble that paid off. They offered to give me respite on a Star Destroyer for a short time, just so I could change my surroundings. Once aboard, I quickly disguised myself as a stormtrooper and snuck aboard a departing patrol. The patrol exited the Deep Core, and with some unbelievable luck, I managed to make my way out as far as the expansion region where I hopped from planet to planet for a while, dodging bounty hunters and for lack of a better term, drank myself into oblivion awaiting the news of Coruscant's demise. It never came, but I know what I saw. I know Coruscant was the target.
3: Uh, I will hold up the gas mask with the green lenses. And what are you doing here for this church? What kind of work are you doing here? You have a lab again? Well, when, when August found me, I, I offered him everything I had to find
1: a place to hide me where no one would be able to find me, and he brought me here. And it made sense. A man of science, a member of a fanatical cult on the fringes, uh, no one would search for me here. It seemed like my best option, and honestly, I, I thought it was working until today. As for the lab, I'm, I'm simply studying the properties of this, the Aralaxian ichor. Uh, it's usually restricted. The, 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 the Church of Aralax doesn't allow for anyone to study it. No man of science is allowed, but I found a way to make them trust me. The ichor, it's, it's carnivorous. Uh, to drink it would kill most organic beings within seconds, and to allow it prolonged contact, it could sever limbs within a minute. I found that uh, it responded to whatever it came into contact with. Uh, It prefers necrotic flesh, but it somehow keys into the emotional state of whoever's involved. Uh, uh, Look, and he stands up and goes over to that glass uh, case and slides the lid off of it.
3: Stop right there.
1: No, no, uh, you you asked, and uh, he's already... Pull out my blaster. (laughs) You pull out the blaster. He freaks out, but he's already slid it open, and uh, black tendrils creep out, uh onto his finger and he goes stop 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 put, put the blaster away please no and he looks he looks to Elkiri because she showed him kindness and he goes it reacts to the emotional state do you understand me fear is the trigger
0: I'll walk over and put a hand on Tan's blaster and uh pu- push her back a little bit
1: uh seeing that he immediately like closes his eyes and begins to try and control his breathing he goes you're right it was a bad idea I understand why you reacted the way you did.
3: Oh, Carrie, we don't know what this guy is
1: doing. And he slowly regains himself.
0: We can run faster than goop.
1: <laughs> Calms down. Uh, you can see that the the fingers of his glove have been removed, exposing his bare skin. Uh, but as he kind of gets control of his breathing, the ooze stops trying to spread and encase his entire arm and kind of refer- reverts back to roughly the size it was before when uh it was in the cube and he opens his eyes and like holds out his hand and the goop kind of just or and the the ichor kind of just like undulates in his hand he goes if someone is not afraid of it if someone shows no fear they can come into contact with it with with no harm and he like moves it from one hand to the other and uh continuing to speak calmly and being very like deliberate with his motions uh he begins to move it back towards the uh uh, towards the cube he goes i'm sorry you asked what i was doing and he drops it into there into the cube and closes it and he goes i'm studying i was able to attain this rank within the church because i was able to come in contact with the with the ichor without losing a limb
2: where is this black ops station you were working
1: i don't know the exact location i only have vague notions the deep core is chaotic it's a star-packed region orbiting the massive black hole at the center of the galaxy. It's an astrogation nightmare. It's a high density of star systems and extreme fluctuations in gravitational fields. It makes hyperspace travel through the deep core nearly impossible. There are a few navigational routes, but all of them are closely guarded imperial secrets. When I was brought to the facility and when I was on patrol as a stormtrooper, those secrets were not shared with me. But if, the, if you're planning on looking for this facility, it's suicide. If the unpredictable anomalies in space don't kill you, the Imperial minefields and patrols will.
3: Look, we're not asking for you to worry about our safety. We just need information.
1: The, the launching station is, as far as I know, on a large planet massed by a thick nebula with enough radiation to fry the sensors off of most ships. The memo I saw... Had a technical readout of the planet. It has a a code name, Cinder One. It doesn't appear on any star map that I know of. But if you knew where it was, safe navigation would be virtually impossible, anyways. Because your only chance would be to have a relatively accurate map of the deep core, and the only place you're going to find that is if you slice into some of the Empire's most well-guarded data. And good luck finding someone crazy enough, let alone skilled enough, to pull that one off. eyeing the blaster still in Tan's hand, he goes, I've told you everything I know.
3: What now? I'll pull Sorel aside. This stuff, it responds to fear.
2: That's what he said.
3: Does that raise any concerns in you? I, I can't help but feel that we're missing something here. There's too many coincidences, Sorrel.
2: I will stop and take a moment to focus my... Thoughts and senses. Is it possible to sense if this goop is Force-sensitive?
1: You can roll... We'll call it a hard discipline check.
2: I'll flip a destiny point to upgrade this. Three successes and two threat. Uh, you reach out in
1: the Force, trying to sense this icker kind of writhing around in this glass container. It strains you to do so. There's, it, there's like, a mess of emotions coming from Lesher, Like, while he was apparently able to, like, when he put his mind to it, center himself and calm down so that the uh, Aralaxian ichor didn't consume him. Uh, Like, when he's not putting his mind to it, he just seems like a mess. And uh, and so you have to, like, sift through all that, and it kind of strains your mind to do so. And you reach out and you feel this, uh, uh, you feel the presence of this ichor. It's definitely organic in nature, and it doesn't appear to be any more Force-sensitive than any other living creature, uh, as the Force binds all living things. But uh, it does seem to, like, be empathic in some way. Uh, It actually senses you, and, like, you feel, like, this hunger coming off of it. Uh, And you will take two strain, uh, sifting through all those emotions.
2: I don't know, Tan. I think it's worth consulting with Master Fug before we leave Aralax. But if we're missing something... I'm missing it as well.
1: Uh, Meanwhile, while you guys are having your little aside, uh, Lesher has moved up close to Kiri and Oko, being, please, please don't let her kill me. I I didn't know what I was doing. I've told you everything I know. Please.
0: She's a little trigger happy, but we won't let her. Don't worry. And the way we found you isn't repeatable.
1: What makes you so sure?
0: We had an old friend who's now long past who left us a hollow that led to you. And we have it. It's the only copy. Your secret is safe.
1: And that's about as much time before Tan and Jaxmar, you finish your little side conversation?
3: I will put my blaster back in its holster. See?
1: So, now what?
0: We thank you for your time. And you stay very, very careful with <laughs> this experiment. And hopefully you'll never see us again.
1: He nods, a little dazed. All right, I can do that. Okay. We leave. Uh, You walk back into the chamber of Brother Theodore and uh, uh, still a little dazed, um, Lesher digs, seals the door behind you. And uh, on your way out as you get up, the same tall, thin, robed figure approaches you, kind of like coming out of a shadow. How did it go? (laughs) Amazing. Very enlightening. Hope to see you at the newest sermon. We do have a funeral tonight. can be quite the spectacle. Feeding the many-armed god is one of our many privileges.
0: And such a privilege it would be to witness it. And we leave before he says anything else.
1: (laughs) He bows to you as you go, giving you the many-armed god's blessings. And then reminding you to be a good neighbor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, so I think that we leave and return to Rishala's. Uh,
1: As you guys are heading back towards the dock, uh, you do pass through a bustling market district, uh, one of many on the uh, the Aralax trading post. You actually see Rishala there uh, with a couple other members of her tribe. She, like, makes eye contact with you and, like, steps away from their stall um, and, like, walks over uh, to walk with you guys a little bit. Uh, And she goes, how is everything?
0: We're two steps closer. I'll fill you in on everything.
1: Do you do you do so yeah. on the on the walk no, back
0: on the walk back in hushed tones?
1: Yeah. So you tell her about like Grandello and the visions yep. and everything. She's you know mouth agape, like soaking in everything. She's she can't believe like the craziness that has ensued <laughs> over such a short time uh, for you guys. And uh, as the door to the docking bay opens up she's talking to you and kind of trips and like Jaxomar, you, you and Tan like catch her and, uh, and like set her upright. And you guys look down and you see one of the, uh, security droids destroyed laying on the ground. And as you kind of look around, you see, uh, the entire contingent of security droids, uh, scattered around the area. Um, some of them missing limbs, others split at the torso, a few of them like shattered, uh, and you feel, A danger coming from the exhibitor. Rishala's um, uh, voice goes quiet at the sight of this.
0: Go back to the market.
1: She she does. She doesn't say anything else. She immediately retreats.
2: This hangar is in a somewhat secluded area?
1: Yes, very. Uh, It's almost like it's dead silent. Like all of the hustle and bustle of the station is gone. I draw
3: my lightsabers. I pull out my blaster. I scan for signs of life.
1: Okay. A quick scan gives you one living creature in this hangar, in the Exhibitor.
4: It is aboard the ship.
3: Mother dosher. Uh,
1: As you guys begin approaching the ship, uh, you are looking at these severed and destroyed security droids, and something is strange about it. and catches your eye, Jaxomar. These are not wounds administered by a lightsaber. Taking a second to kind of like bend down and look at one of them a little more closely, the stab wound almost looks like that of a sword. Not an electrocharged vibroblade, but a legitimate sword.
2: This was done with a sword, not a vibro sword. A legitimate ancient weapon. I only know of one culture that used that, and it was the Sith. We have to get to the helmet, and I start booking it towards the exhibitor.
3: I'll follow close behind you.
1: As the four of you are getting closer to the El Elkiri and Jaximar, you are, you feel a wash of cold darkness, similar to what you felt in the Jedi vault on Bolea as you were beset upon by force illusions. Uh, you guys rush in. There doesn't seem to be anything in the cargo hold. You make your way up to the living quarters, uh, uh, following this sense of, of cold darkness.
2: My lightsabers are ignited at this point.
1: And uh, you get in the hallway. The door to Jack Samar's room is open, and the paneling of the wall in his room is on the floor, and a dark-robed figure armed with an ancient ominous looking metal sword and shield stands there back turned to you having just finished donning the helmet of darth Venari. the figure without turning speaks to you their voice deep and ominous coming through this helmet it was kind of you to carry this helmet for a time i can't imagine the burden was easy for you jedi he turns calmly not raising his sword and shield in any, in any aggressive fashion. I have waited a long,
2: long time for this. Step aside, and I shall let you live. I cannot allow you to leave with those artifacts.
1: You may call me Darth Venari, though this body is merely a host, one who can bear the burden of my greatest creations to help me fulfill my destiny. Now I ask you again, one final time step aside you are not the worthy prey i stalk
2: my answer is the same
1: so you have chosen death he says kind of like transferring the shield over to his offhand and advancing on you and i need everyone to roll initiative did anyone get better than a five
0: No, (laughs) I got to triumph.
1: So in that case, the opposition will get to go first, and then you guys will have all of your turns, and then he will get to go a second time at the end. He points the blade at you uh, as he speaks before advancing, Jaxamar, and you see just the faintest, faintest aura of red come from the sword, and you feel like that darkness around you and the force kind of, like, stick to you and tighten around you and, and like, seep into into you, and, like, you feel doomed. And he uh, takes one step forward and then leaps from short range to engage range, swinging his sword over his head, spinning around, and uh, he will strike at you.
2: I will dodge and upgrade the difficulty of his check once.
1: (laughs) He will hit you, and he will deal nine damage uh, that has uh, Breach, and he will crit you heavily. Uh, So he rolled a 107. He swoops out of your room through the hallway, swinging his sword down, driving it just inches from your heart. It goes deep, and you suffer the critical injury bleeding out for every round. You suffer one wound and one strain at the beginning of your turn. For every five wounds you suffer beyond your wound threshold, you suffer an additional critical injury. Uh, this is a daunting critical injury. He pushes the blade in, pushing you back a little bit, Jaxamar, That skull-shaped mask inches from your face. And he removes the blade, uh, which has like kind of an arrow-shaped tip to it. And he kind of shoves you back, expecting you to fall over dead. Uh, It's your guys' turn.
4: I would like to use my talent, It's Not That Bad, to prevent this critical injury. Once per session, when an ally would suffer a critical injury, I may take an It's Not That Bad action, make a hard medicine check, and stop the ally from receiving the critical injury. Sure, go for it. Six successes and one advantage. I will also take two strain to make a second maneuver, assisting Jaxomar in his next action, giving him one boost die. So
1: he pulls the sword out, pushes Jaxomar away, seeming to expect him to fall down dead. He immediately turns towards Elkiri, who is uh, wielding her lightsaber as well. And he raises his sword and begins to advance on her. In that moment, uh, Oko, you float in between Venari and... Uh, Jaxamar and stab your like surgical arm into Jaxamar's like wound and like fill it with like synth skin and other chemicals to like seal it up and stop it from bleeding and Jaxamar like everything was going tunnel vision dark for a second and all you see f- like filling up that tunnel vision is the glowing smiling face of <laughs> of Oko as he goes it's not that bad they're <laughs> there, there. <laughs> and then you feel him, like, jam something into your chest, and then, like, your vision starts to come back, and you feel a little like, uh, you feel like the stims uh, kind of kicking in, and Oko floats out of the way, and you can see this dark Sith figure advancing on your former Padawan. And Oko gives you a shove, <laughs> as if to say, get in there.
2: I will take my turn now. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will spend two maneuvers to aim, and then I will strike at this figure, And I will ebb as I do.
1: He has three defense and adversary
2: three. I will flip a destiny point to upgrade this check. Okay. I will flip a destiny point and suffer a conflict to use these dark side pips. Okay. In this moment of intense pain and near death, um, I strike out and ebbing with the force, uh, fearing for Elkiri's safety, I will spend one pip to exclude Elkiri from my ebb as I add three automatic failures to everyone in this hallway's next check until the end of my next turn. Okay. So that's ten damage, two triumphs, and five advantages. I will spend the triumphs and four advantages to crit at a plus 40, and I will kick the last advantage forward as a boost. Alright, go ahead. Uh, That is 124. Which is knocked senseless, which means he is staggered until the end of this encounter.
1: Uh,
2: he will commit a force die, ignoring the
1: effect of this critical injury. He still has it, so like next time he's crit, there's a plus ten. Uh, but as long as he has this force die committed, he will not suffer the effect, so he is not staggered. As you kind of rushing forward with this uh, with this rush of adrenaline and fear. Uh, You leap up with both your lightsabers. You swing uh, Dudo's lightsaber down and spinning with an uncanny uh, sense of your position, he blocks Dudo's lightsaber with the shield, pushing it down. And you drive your blue lightsaber into his gut and uh, you see that his armor is resistant to it. Uh, and it kind of burns and digs into his stomach, but doesn't uh, skewer through him like a lightsaber should. Uh, but it knocks him back, and he lets out like a, a grunt of pain. And then he like growls with like that pain and anger. And you see as he pulls back from you, the shield begin to glow slightly red. It's your guys' turn.
0: Okay. As an incidental, I will uh, activate center of being,
1: making it harder for him to crit you. Yeah?
0: Yes and uh, I will perform the action Draw Closer.
1: Okay. Uh, So that will be a combined force power lightsaber check. Uh, That will be an easy check, but he has adversary three and three defense.
0: So I succeed with 12 lightsaber damage. Uh, And then um, I crit twice.
1: Okay, Uh, go ahead and roll that. Don't forget uh, the plus 10 from the crit that he is currently ignoring with the force.
0: 108.
1: Uh, Horrific injury means you roll a D10 to determine which of the target's characteristics are reduced by one until the critical injury is repaired. So go ahead and roll that. Two. Uh, That will reduce his brawn by one. He will not commit a force die to ignore that.
0: And as my maneuver, I take a guarded stance.
1: Okay. Uh, he moves in towards Jaxamar, almost like frustrated by the fact that he's still alive, and you use the force to draw him closer towards you, sliding him on the floor, uh, though he reacts pretty swiftly to that, raising up his shield against your first strike. Uh, but then you continue to pull him in closer, and as he raises his sword to counterattack, you kind of step, uh, step past him and and drag your lightsaber a- across the shield and um, up his arm, uh, and you hit like a part of the armor that's a little bit weaker, and you uh, it cuts through a little bit deeper, and uh, he lets out like another shout of anger, and as he steps around like pushing you away from him, you see his shield glow a little bit brighter with this kind of ominous red energy. Uh, ten, it is your turn.
3: I will aim twice, uh, taking two strain to shoot at him.
1: Okay. Defense three, adversary three.
3: I will flip a destiny point to upgrade my check.
1: Okay. Go ahead and roll it.
3: That is a failure with seven advantages.
1: Whew. Uh, Anything you want to do with those advantages?
3: Uh, I'll send all seven advantages forward as boosts to the next ally check.
1: Sure. Uh, so stepping kind of back away from this fray, uh, you draw your blaster. Um, all of these motions from these Jedi have been so lightning quick. That's how long it took you to quick draw your blaster. Uh, and they've already like exchanged many, uh, many swings. And you just start unloading as as many shots as you can at this guy uh he blocks a couple of them with his shield uh stepping back uh and then he drops his shield and some of the shots ping off of his armor not fully hitting him like directly on they like glance and just seem to like ricochet off to the side and hit like the walls around him and he begins to try and return his attention to uh uh, to your friends and you just keep pelting him and so like in, in that moment when he realizes he doesn't have to, like, really pay that much attention to you, uh, he turns, but then you start hitting him better, and then he has to raise his shield again. And so right now he's basically suppressed by your onslaught of blaster fire. You hear him uh, continue to, like, growl with that, like, with that primordial anger, uh, and his shield glows a little more red. And uh, he will let out a shout uh, dropping to his knee and slamming the shield into the ground. And each one of you is going to take five wounds and five strain that ignores your sick.
0: Is this from a force power?
1: Uh, he did have to roll force dice.
0: Okay, so he generates one less force pip.
1: All right, so everyone actually takes four wounds and four strain. As he slams this shield down and that red energy that was kind of coalescing around it lashes out, bursting the lights, the, the track lighting in the hallway, cracking some of the panels, launching all of you back. Uh, the two Jedi, you feel yourself literally attacked by hate and anger, like the emotions like become tangible threats that rip into the inside of your of your body. And uh, he stands back up and swings at El'Kiri. I will flip a dark side point to upgrade his attack. Uh, Elkiri, he hits you for eight damage.
0: I will suffer three strain to parry, reduce that damage by three.
1: And he also will crit you. Uh, he rolled an 80, so you are overpowered. He rushes towards you after knocking you back with that wave of, of hate and he swings at you and you manage to actually catch the sword with your lightsaber and you see as like this kind of red glow uh, this like transparent red glow uh, emanates from where your lightsaber touches the sword as it doesn't carve through the the blade and you parry some of the blow um, but he manages to find like another opening and like sweep the the sword along your thigh Uh, and you shout out in pain kind of spinning and exposing your back to him and he is going to get to attack a second time Uh, I will have to flip a dark side point over to the light side to allow him to use uh, the light side force pips that he rolled so that he can succeed in hitting you, which is seven damage, and he crits you again.
0: I will parry that.
1: Okay, you take three strain, reduce the damage by three. Uh, So you receive a gruesome injury... As um, you pull the lightsaber, uh, you put the lightsaber behind you, uh, managing to catch some of the blade, uh, and he actually kind of hooks your arm in his and punches forward with the edge of the shield, and you hear a, a loud pop and feel a cold pain in your in your spine as your agility is reduced by one. Uh, and then he shoves you forward with the force of that blow.
0: I fall unconscious. Uh,
1: it's your guys' turn again.
2: Uh, I will suffer two strain to aim twice and strike at him again. Using the technique I've sort of perfected against the Inquisitor, faint with Dudo's lightsaber and strike with my own.
1: All right, go ahead. He has defense three, adversary three. You have a significant amount of boosts from the suppressive fire from your intrepid Captain Mobuk.
2: Uh, so that is nine damage. Uh, I will use my light side points to recover two strain, and I rolled 12 advantages. <laughs>
1: Twelve advantages is basically a triumph. Um, so um, unless you really want to use something with those twelve advantages, I have a thing that would work perfectly.
2: You can do your thing. Okay. You see him
1: uh, like crack Elkiris back against the edge of his uh, edge of his shield, pushing her away. Seeing her fall unconscious, he turns back to you to like finish the job he started, and you move in immediately. You step in towards his defenses so he can't bring his shield to bear and begin to strike at him. He manages to, like... Block a couple of the blows, step back, but like stumbling, uh, stumblingly. So Tan pulls back her blaster to stop like shooting that area as you've closed in very tightly with this, uh, with this figure. You uh, begin making small cuts here and there, almost Makashi in in your style, uh, precision strikes, hitting where his uh, where he where he leaves his openings to kind of push him back. You've now like having seen him attack you and your and uh, a couple times. You have a, a sense of his. Uh, fighting style. And as you get in close and slash upwards uh, across his chest and into the mask, like there's a flash in your head of like familiarity as the mask gets cut off of his head, uh, uh, not, like, not severed or broken, but it does like dislodge from his head with the force of your blow, um, any other uh, armor would have given way and he, and he would be decapitated. Uh, and the helmet goes flying up and uh, stumbling back, uh, your, uh, a slight cut from your lightsaber across his face, you see the face of none other than Dudo Nuem, your friend who you presumed dead at the end of the Clone Wars. And that's where we'll end our session.
0: What? (laughs) This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or specifically approved by the Walt Disney Company, Lucasfilm Limited, their subsidiaries, or sister companies, or any Star Wars license holder, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, and all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. Go to the official Star Wars website, www.starwars.com, for more information. The Edge of the Empire... Age of Rebellion, and Forced in Destiny role-playing games are trademarked properties of Fantasy Flight Games, Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more information, go to www.fantasyflightgames.com EN starwars rpg